If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number. Keep in mind, 24-7, 888-6ADVICE. You can also email those questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now, during the show, you can call or text our studio line at 651 461 9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb, along with the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Denny. Good morning, Bruce. Morning. Hello, Peg. Thank you, Denny Long. Uh, always appreciate the lovely introduction. Uh, today, we are going to talk about estates and wills and trusts and charitable giving. And listeners, no, don't. don't don't turn the dial. Don't turn off your radio. Don't think this is boring. Don't think this doesn't apply to you. It does. So, Peg, I think a lot of people hear the term estate planning, and they think, well, that's for rich people. That's not for me. But the truth is, all estate planning means is that when you leave the world, assuming you don't spend your last dollar on the day you take your last breath, Whatever's left over, where do you want it to go? How do you get it there efficiently and effectively? And everybody needs to do this, no matter how much money you have or you don't have. This is something that everybody needs to do. And we're fortunate today, Peg, to have with us from our roundtable team of specialists, Kate Meyer uh, is joining us. Those of you that listen to the show frequently have heard Kate with us before. Peg, Kate is one of those people, and there's a lot of them on our round table, where I'd like to say, if Kate doesn't know the answer, it's not worth knowing. Kate's an attorney. She's a financial planner. She's been uh, on, the, on the round table at Wealth Enhancement, uh, I want to say, since 2007. Where does the time go? Uh, she's a certified financial planner. She's got her law degree from Hamlin University, undergraduates in uh, economics and French from Cornell. Kate Thank you for joining us and uh, weaving our way through this sometimes pretty complicated topic. Thank you. I'm happy to be here again. Good morning. Well, one of the things, Bruce and Kate, uh, that we deal with as uh, financial advisors at Wealth Enhancement Group is this topic seems to be the least favored only because then we have to think about the day that we leave this earth. And that's negative, right. right? We like to be positive in our meetings. But over the decades, uh, Bruce and, and Kate, we have definitely witnessed how it matters. Because when clients don't plan or prospective clients that come to visit us and didn't plan, the, the beneficiaries of the estate, if there wasn't a good plan, we end up navigating through all that. And it is heightened. I mean, there's families that um, money is a crazy, crazy thing, right? So once somebody believes that they should get their fair share on an estate, um, let's just say we've seen the backside of that if it's not uh, totally organized. So what I thought we would do, Kate, is to run through kind of the basics first. So people that are listening uh, can follow along. So let's just talk about just general wills. Okay. Well, the, a will is basically is, is kind of the the um, first 
first line of defense, basically, when it comes to a state plan. I think regardless of your net worth, regardless of whether or not you do any additional planning, everybody needs a will because with that, that's where you name who you would like to manage your estate when you're on your death, uh, usually called either the executor or the personal representative. If you have minor children, this is who you name the guardians of those children. This is where you, you, you describe how you want your assets to pass, you know, not only who you want them to pass to, but how you want them to pass. Because if you want to maintain some control after death, you need to have a document like a will to, to lay out those terms. And then it also kind of, it just helps, you know, it, it lays your, your, your plan out on paper. Everybody can see what you are wanting to have happen. And so hopefully it also cuts down on, on hassles and disagreements between family members because you've already have it laid out right there for them to see. So uh, uh, there's so many people out there listening still today. And the, and the question we get is, why do, why do I even need it? Now, I know you just went through this is why you need it. But still, you could say that a hundred times and people go, nah, I don't have that much. I, I don't need a will. Is that true? No, I, I think everybody needs a will. Even if you don't have any financial assets, you probably still have personal assets. And the will is, is who you say you want those personal assets to go to. You know, like a good example is my parents, they have a, a picture over their fireplace of, of, of some kids playing hockey. And in the background is, is the home where my brother and I grew up with. And both of us want that picture. So, you know, to cut down on any disagreements at best, uh, assuming my brother and I haven't already argued over it a lot and, and I've already kind of given up because <laughs> he was a hockey player. <laughs> if we hadn't done that, you know, my parents could have written, could write in their will, you know, you know, my brother is the one who gets that picture. So then I would have to back off because, well, they, they've made the decision, so there's no use arguing. So even if you don't have any financial assets, um, your personal assets are just as important when you want to make sure who, who they go to. Peg, I'm glad you brought that up and asked Kate that question. And Kate, that's a really good answer because the other variation of that question I get is we always talk about having a beneficiary on our investments, on our retirement plans, our IRAs, our 401ks, or even our non-qualified plans, our bank accounts, a POD, payable upon death, or TOD, transferable upon death. And those, those named beneficiaries, supersede everything else. And so people say, if I have beneficiaries named on everything, I don't need a will. But you just hit the nail on the head. It's not only for the financial things. It's for these personal things. Um, the example I always use is uh, most of our listeners are aware of uh, Prince and his uh, vault of unreleased music. Well, he died without a legal document saying, who gets the vault? <laughs> of unreleased music in your in your case it's a it's a it's a sentimental picture uh on a wall and it could be any number of things so i i'm so glad we brought that up that's that's the reason for a will you the financial stuff you could probably probably can take up with beneficiary uh, uh naming the proper beneficiary but it doesn't cover all the other personal stuff good example and actually, yeah. another thing a will can do, if you, if you have those beneficiaries, particularly on those accounts that you wouldn't normally add beneficiaries on, you know, like the bank account and the, the non-retirement accounts, you know, if, if you have beneficiaries on all of those accounts, if you want to change who to get them, you have to remember to change the beneficiary on every single account to make sure it goes who you want. Whereas if you just change your will, 
that handles all of those accounts. So that's kind of the trade-off there as well. Um, sometimes the will actually would be easier than beneficiary designations. So then the next yeah. biggest question is a trust. At what point do you jump to a trust versus a will? <laughs> well, being an attorney, I bet my answer is it depends. That's, that, that's always our favorite <laughs> answer. Um, usually, you know, that's when, when you have uh, concerns about privacy. Um, anything that, that passes via a will will go through probate, which then becomes part of the court record, which is public record. So if you don't want everybody to know what your assets were, um, a, a revocable trust is, is the way to avoid that, along with beneficiary designations. And also, once you're, you're, you're in your estates that gets you know, the, the non-retirement estate, so your home and, and those investment accounts that aren't in retirement accounts, when they start to get above about 75000 it probably makes sense to get a trust because that's when probate starts to get a little bit more expensive. So, um, like I said, the trust avoids probate. So, when you have a lot of assets that would otherwise go through probate, by putting it in a trust, you can make things much simpler without um, by just allowing the trustee to distribute the assets per the trust terms without having to open probate at a later date. I would I would agree that uh, clients get a little bit confused when you start entering into the word trust because it seems complex in itself. But can you just give an example of one? Because one of the things that you do on the roundtable for us, and thank you very much for doing this, is reviewing existing estate plans for our clients or uh, prospective clients of ours that come in and need a review. What is it that you witness with these trusts that might be like the number one missed item? In, in a revocable trust? In a revocable trust. Um, I don't know if it would be a, a missed item, but the thing that seems to, that when I kind of reflect back to clients, what, what their trusts say, the thing that doesn't align most with their client's goals is, is if they leave assets in trust for their children, how how that works out. Because sometimes I read it and, you know, this leaves assets in trust for your children for their lifetime. They're like, well, no, I don't want that. I want them to get out right by a certain age. And then there are others where I'm like, where I can tell them that your assets go to your children at 21. And and, and they're like, well, you know, I'd rather have it in a lifetime because I'm, I'm worried about divorce or they're in a job where they might get sued. So I want to protect those assets. So, um, it's very important to particularly to discuss with your attorney exactly what you want and make sure your attorney is putting that in the document and then reviewing that every few years because as circumstances change, you know, if your kids are in their teens, you don't know that eventually they're going to be a doctor more likely to be sued just because of their profession or, you know, they, they wouldn't have married that person that you really don't like before. So it's always important to, to keep up on that just because um, it's, it's odd. It's funny how often when I reflect that to a client, they it's not how they pers- they currently want it to have happen. And isn't it, Kate? Oh, because- remind listeners at the. Go ahead. Sorry, Bruce. Well, I was just going to say, I I'll remind gonna- listeners it's a great day to ask a question. We've got uh, uh, Kate Mayer with us, uh, special guest uh, uh, attorney, certified financial planner at Wealth Enhancement. If Kate doesn't know, it's not worth knowing. Hey, guys, I'm sorry I talked over you, but again, 
4619226 for text and or if you want to go on here and ask a, ask a question live, 651-461-9226. Hey, really quickly, Peg, don't lose your train of thought, but it occurs yeah. to me, Kate, when you talk about a living trust or an irrevocable trust as compared to a will and the advantages, then people are going to say, well, then why shouldn't everybody have an irrevocable trust? It's a lot better. Well, there's uh, a lot of people are confused about the difference between a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust. So with the revocable sorry, trust. I misspoke. I, I'm sorry. I misspoke. I didn't mean to go there yet. I meant revocable. I'm sorry. See, perfect example right there. Sometimes people get those confused. But the revocable trust, um, really the, the biggest hassle with the revocable trust is, you know, is you have to keep it up during your lifetime. So you have to remember to retitle all of your assets into the trust. And you have to make sure that, you know, you're, you're reflecting your management of those assets as trustee and not as owner outright. Um, that really, that's probably the biggest hang up when it comes to trust is it's, it's a bit of a hassle to set up in the beginning. And, and people don't like going through that. They would prefer to have it in the will because then their beneficiaries basically have to deal with the hassle. So other than that, and a revocable trust is going to be more expensive to draft as well, just because there's also going to be terms in there about how to manage your assets during your lifetime if you're any, if you become incapacitated, which a will would not have. So it does more yeah. for you, but it costs a little more, and it's a little more laborious, and that's why it's not for everybody. Big? Correct. Yep. Yeah, and and what I was um, just trying to squeeze in is uh, clients and prospective clients bring these big books into me, right? And I'm, I look at it, and I've been doing this for decades, and I have my own trust, and I look at them and go, what am I trying to say here? Because it's in different terms that I don't read every single day, and that's what happens to our clients is they just want to know a simple you know, a description of what they're saying in this big book. And that's uh, what we provide to the client so that they are clear about what it says. And a lot of times they've done it so long ago that they forgot what it says. So it's a, I like, Kate, that you said you can't just put it on the shelf like dipping baby shoes in gold and just forget about it. You actually need to revisit that. So, Bruce, you mentioned irrevocable trust, and we can just quickly say, you know, irrevocable versus revocable. Kate, what what's the difference? So, like as I mentioned before, revocable trust is still essentially the same as owning the assets outright. You still retain full control over those assets. You can withdraw them from the trust whenever you want. You can always put more in. An irrevocable trust, when you put money in that trust, you have given it away. So you have given power to, usually you're going to name somebody other than yourself as trustee, and you aren't going to be able to get that money out. And then the trustee manages those assets based on the terms of the trust. So like a revocable trust, like I said, you can revoke it at any time. You can take the money out at any time. An irrevocable trust, once you put it in there, it's in there, and it is very difficult to get back out unless you're specifically following the terms of the trust. And so usually irrevocable trusts are for people who are trying to, to do specific things with the money, and they personally don't need that money anymore. And they would be subject to maybe a major tax when they die if they're over a particular dollar amount of net worth, correct? 
Correct. Yeah. So irrevocable trust, one of the main uses of it is um, to help reduce estate taxes because because you've given that money away into a trust that you no longer have control over, then that money is not in your estate to be taxed upon death. So that is that is one of the main uses. The other use is, you know, if you're leaving money to children and you want to maintain some control over that money even after your death so your, your kids don't have unfettered access to it, that's probably the second most popular use of irrevocable trust. Yeah, and we do that sort of planning um, at Wealth Enhancer Group. So setting up a trust, whether it's revocable or irrevocable, can be quite complex. So we always advise that the clients um, talk to an attorney, even though Kate is very helpful in describing what's in the trust or recommending, you know, we listen to the clients and, and get familiar with the family dynamics and before uh, clients even go see an attorney, but you will have to consult an attorney, you know, um, as well as like a financial advisor like Bruce and I and um, and possibly a tax professional because uh, estate taxes are taxes. It's kind of the worst tax of all. There also is strategies, though, of how you can reduce your estate um, now, not really just give the money away um, at your death, but you could work on some strategies while you're alive. One is uh, doing Roth conversions. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Kate? Sure. So Roth conversions, you're obviously you're not giving the money away, you're keeping it, but you're converting them from a taxable IRA where, you know, when you withdraw the money at some point, it gets it's taxed at ordinary income taxes. Or if you convert it to a Roth, you're paying the tax now, even though you're not withdrawing the money so that either you or your beneficiaries in the future can re- withdraw it tax-free. So by doing that, particularly if you end up leaving it to your beneficiaries, they're gonna save a, a lot of income taxes on that because they can withdraw it tax-free. And then the other benefit is because you paid taxes on that to convert it during your lifetime, it actually reduces your estate based on that tax paid, which can help reduce your estate tax. So you kind of get that double benefit of what's with the Roth conversion. But you want to make sure still, you know, if you're completing that Roth conversion, you're not completing it in the tax bracket that's higher than you would otherwise, you or your beneficiaries would otherwise be able to withdraw it. So you still want to do some planning there. Just don't go and and blow out of your IRA, convert the whole thing to the Roth. There's still specific planning you want to do there to make sure you're not actually paying more taxes on that Roth than you would if you had stayed in an IRA. Hey, Kate and Peg, I know there's a bunch more we want to get to, and we will. But Denny tells me there's a caller holding. Denny, should we take squeeze in a call? We've got about two minutes for the break. Let's do that. I think Don is on the uh, horn with a question. Don, what is your question, please? Uh, good morning. I love the show when I can catch it. Um, I have, so what type of trust can you place your parents' assets in that are untouchable by the government should you have to look into elder care for Alzheimer's? and things like that, because I know that the government likes to withdraw or take down the assets um, to help assist with payments and things like that, and then leaves the kids with nothing. So if if you can let me know, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I can stay on for a bit if you have any questions. Sure. You'd want to set up a... Sure. Go ahead, Keith. Sorry. You, you want to give minutes. money to, to an irrevocable trust, because then you're giving that money away. But the government can still actually look through an irrevocable trust if your parents retain too much access to that fund. So if the trust will still pay income to them, 
the government will consider mm -hmm. that to be a, a, an available asset. Same with if, if there's reasons why they should be able to access principal, again, the government should be able to, to, um, to reach through that trust to grab it. So you want to make sure if you're going to do that, you work with a qualified elder care attorney because they will be the ones that will be able to set out that trust in a way that the government can't touch it. But the flip side is your parents basically lose all access to that money unless it's at the trustee's discretion. So it's it's a very drastic way to do it. And also, if, if they give the money to the trust five years, within five years of having to qualify for medical assistance or Medicaid, then they will actually be ineligible for Medicaid for a period of time based on the fact that they gave that, that five-year rule. I, I've heard of that yeah. five-year rule. So, well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Don. Thanks. Thanks for listening, and uh, and thanks for your question, uh, Denny. I think we're up against the clock here, but the second half of the show, more listeners, more Kate Meyer, more Peg Webb. Um, hang in there. Absolutely, a very interesting topic this morning. A lot of interest from our listeners. Six five one four six one nine two two six. You want to call in your question or send a text. Either one will work. Six five one four six one nine two two six. Back with more of your money. Stay with us. If you happen to have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number. Keep in mind, 24-7-888-6-ADVICE. And you can also email those questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now, during the show, you can call or text our studio line. Here's that number, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us. Or if you just joined us late, uh, we've been talking about wills and trusts and estate planning and ways to keep more money for your loved ones, pass on more money and give less to Uncle Sam. There's a couple topics uh, in the second half that we didn't get to that we want to, but we also want listeners to get the, involved with their texts and their calls. And, Danny, I understand there's a caller on hold. Maybe we take that call. And then uh, Peg and Kate, we go back, and uh, if we didn't clean up anything from the first half that we wanted to, we could do that. And then I know there's a couple more things we want to get to, but should we start with the call? Sure, let's do that. Mary has been uh, on the line. Mary, thank you for your patience. What is your question? Hi, good morning. Um, my husband is in charge of his aunt's will. He could not get her to put it into a trust before she died. And she left um, some pretty substantial stocks to her church. Now, the question is, her church folded after she or before she died, and it became a different sort of church. And um, he contacted the, that church immediately. This was three years ago, and they did not respond until recently, like last month. And now they've hired a lawyer, and the lawyer is saying that they want the stocks. But it wasn't her intent to go to a different church, so I'm just wondering... I'm uh, wondering uh, what to do at this point. <laughs> I think we lost her. Can you? Yep. Did you get uh, so it sounds like, yeah, the, 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 church was the, the church that was the beneficiary folded and became a new church. So it basically, it, uh, it depends on, on the relationship between the, the new church and the old church. The new church may still have a claim. 
Um, but usually, you know, the, the document is, is pretty clear about the name of the, of, of the charity and where it's located. And then, you know, basically, if that charity is no longer in existence, either the executor has the ability to redirect those funds to a similar charity, or in the same way as, as like a, a regular beneficiary who predeceases you, then the charity is basically treated the same way as a, you know, predecease, and then it'll go to the remaining beneficiaries. So, I'm, I, I can't positively tell you that, that the, the current church does not have a claim not knowing the relationship between this church and the old church. Um, so it might make sense to hire an attorney just to kind of walk you through the process to make sure that you're handling correctly. Because um, my, my guess is that, that the prior church, since it's no longer in existence, um, is basically just removed from the will and the remaining beneficiaries should get it. But um, I can't tell you that with certainty. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reintroduce Kate Meyer, uh, uh, joining Peg and I today. Kate is a, a financial planner at Wealth Enhancement. She's been, uh, been, uh, been with us since 2007. She's a financial planner and a JD, got her law degree uh, in St. Paul at Hamlin University. Kate is one of those very valued members of the roundtable that financial advisors like Peg and I go to for help with the technical stuff. I joked in the first half of the show, if Kate doesn't know, it's not worth knowing. And uh, Peg, we, we covered a lot in the first half. Is there anything you wanted to elaborate on? Uh, and then I know there's a couple more things uh, you want to talk about. Yeah, there was a, a conversation about Roth conversions at the end of the first half. And I wanted to give an example of uh, how dramatic that can be if you can afford to do it. So back in 2008, 2009, when the market had just crashed and the Dow was at something like 6,500, I did have someone come in to me and ask me if he should take this million dollars in an IRA and convert it to a Roth now. Well, I was ecstatic that, you know, he wanted to know about the concept of Roth conversions. Because when the market is down is a really good time to do Roth conversions. And why would that be? Because you'll pay the tax now. And then if you do convert it to a Roth, it's going to grow tax-free under current law. Well, back then, he was insistent that he convert this million dollars. Well, about 33% of that money went to Uncle Sam. But... The remainder went into a Roth IRA, and that amount in that Roth IRA today, uh, he recently passed, but his kids got this tax-free money. Uh, and as you all know, since 2008, 2009, the market grew substantially. So it was that's just a dramatic example. It doesn't have to be a million dollars, but you can see where that $333,000 was outside, got out of his estate. So it wasn't subject to estate taxes when he died. So I wanted to give that example, Kate and Bruce, because I think that maybe puts it, <clears throat> uh, gives a little bit of more light on why would you do it, Bruce? Right. It's even, yeah, and it's even more valuable now with the passage of the SECURE Act in 2020, um, because now, you know, there are certain beneficiaries who can stretch, but the majority of beneficiaries who inherit IRAs these days need to liquidate that IRA within 10 years. And so they have a much larger tax bill coming due to the traditional IRA because they can only 
withdraw over those 10 years as opposed to stretching it out over their lifetime. So that's another reason why Roth conversions right now can be very valuable. Great point. Bruce? Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to say also that, you know, the, we talk about Roth conversions a lot on the show. Probably not as much even as we should, as often as we do. I don't think we can talk about it too often because it's a, it's a huge uh, concept within uh, you know, the subset of comprehensive financial planning. And I, I've told people before, and I've told this story on air, it's standard operating procedure at Wealth Enhancement. We always look at it. And I remember the, the story that I tell is I had a client one time who was listening to the show who came in for a review meeting the following week, and he said, I heard you say on the radio show that you always uh, look at doing Roth conversion. He didn't do that for me. And I said, what makes you say that? He goes, we didn't say anything about it. And I said, because we did the analysis and it doesn't make sense for you. So I didn't bring it up. When it makes sense, then I'll bring it up. So we are proactive. It is standard operating procedure, and it is a huge part of comprehensive financial planning. Uh, what, where do you want to go next, Peg? Well, I wanted to talk about another concept called the donor advised fund because clients are utilizing that strategy. It makes sense, Kate, that you maybe describe a little bit more detail about what that is. Sure. A donor advised fund is, is, I know some people kind of think of it as their own little personal foundation without having to actually set up a foundation. So you can give a lot of money into this donor advised fund up front and you get that upfront tax deduction for doing so, but then you don't have to immediately give money to charities from that donor advised fund. So it's a great way, you know, like right now, a lot of people aren't itemizing their deductions anymore. So using a donor advised fund, you can make a huge charitable donation this year, itemize your deductions, and then over the next few years, instead of making charitable gifts from your cash flow, give it from the donor advised fund because you wouldn't have been getting that tax benefit anyway. They're also good for if you have appreciated assets, an appreciated stock that you would like to liquidate without paying the tax. If you give it to that donor advised fund, it, the, the fund can sell the stock without any tax consequences, and then you can reallocate it with the idea that those funds are going to eventually go to charity. And then when it comes to estate planning, a donor advised fund is a great thing to leave your IRA assets to if you would like to leave those assets to charities because the donor advised fund can then liquidate the IRAs and then distribute it to your charities based, based on instructions that you've left them. And so that, that, takes, that takes stress off of the charity. You know, if you want to leave money to your church, if you leave an IRA to the church, then somebody within the church has to go through the process of retitling the IRA, of liquidating and all that. Whereas if you left to the donor advised fund with instructions to give to the church, the donor advised fund is doing all that and the church just gets the money. So it, it can help, particularly if you're leaving assets to smaller uh, charitable organizations. It can kind of help take that stress off the charitable organization so all they get is the benefit without any of that hassle. So then the question is, Kate, do I put my donor advised fund as the beneficiary on my IRA? I would recommend it. I mean, even if you don't currently have a donor advised fund, you can kind of name one to pop up at death. And then, um, and then at that era, actually, if you have one now, you know, the donor advised funds, you're naming all the charities. And if you change your mind in your life, you can change yeah. the charities in the donor advised fund without having to go and change the beneficiary designations on your IRAs, particularly if you have multiple. So it also makes things um, easier during your lifetime as, as your goals change regarding your charities. 
Yeah, I love that because I have clients that are putting 10, 15 different charities on as beneficiaries to the point where we have to take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and type it all up and then they change them. And so um, I love that idea uh, for clients as well. So Bruce? Well, sure. You learn about maybe a charity that you didn't know about before, or you find out something bad about a charity that you thought that you did like. So I love that flexibility. And I also want to point out, I know that people that do charitable giving, the tax deduction is not your primary motivation. I understand that you're giving for the altruistic, intrinsic reward of of giving to something you believe in and care about. But if you can get a tax break, it's, it's not sacrilegious or bad if you can be kind and generous and be giving and get some financial benefit for that. There's nothing wrong with that. And so the Donor Advice Fund is one of those tools that can help you receive benefit for your generosity. Um, Danny tells me there's another call on the line. Danny? Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, get to it. Monica has been uh, hanging on the line. Monica, thank you. What is your question? Thank you. Um, I want My sister has a will um, that she made up, and she did it four times. It seems like a very simplistic will of two pages that she had done. I don't know if it's on the Internet, but she did have attorney assign it, sign it. And she put me as, a, uh, as an executor. She asked me to be an executor of the estate, and I reluctantly... Um, agreed to that. One thing we had noticed early on is that we were concerned that um, if anything happened or if she exceeded her money um, prior to her death, that we, or after death, that we not be responsible from our estate. So we had her change it and say that the money, if there's any debt that she occurs, that the money would be paid from her estate only so they, so we may not be responsible. Um, is that, uh, do you know if that's the correct wording that we should use or if that's something we either need to be concerned about in the will if she doesn't have enough money to pay her debts? Yeah, that's, that's nothing you need to be just, uh, concerned about. Uh, beneficiaries of a will or executives of a will are never, are never going to be liable for the decedent's debts. And so the only way that you would ever become liable is if you, for some reason, personally guaranteed it, and then and then at that point you may have um, taken on that liability. But just simply agreeing to be an executor, or being named as a beneficiary, or even being a child, um, even if you're not named as a beneficiary, but just being a child of somebody who dies with debt, none of you actually have any of that liability of the debt. Um, that that will only come from the estate money if there's anything left. Now, it could be, Kate, that maybe some of these, let's say it's a credit card company, is aggressive. I mean, I've heard a client right. that called me and said, okay, they are saying, I'm like, you have to be careful because they're going to, like, say you're liable, but yet right. you're not. Right. So, yeah, you have to be firm with them. And sometimes, unfortunately, you might have to hire an attorney to just get them off your back. But they're, they have no, um, no standing to come after you to pay any of the debt. They're just trying to get the money in whichever way they can. Um, ladies, uh, I, Denny tells me we have a mountain of text to get to also, but I, I want to make sure that you get in today for listeners the key points that you want to get in. So, Peg, Kate, other, other things to kind of tie a bow on this subject or key takeaways for listeners that you want to make sure you mention? Kate, anything? 
Um, I think we covered most of it. But actually, you know what? The two things that I forgot to talk about earlier when it comes to just basic estate planning is to make sure you also always have a power of attorney and a healthcare directive. Um, because those are those are the documents you name who you want to have control of your financial assets or who to name who to make those medical decisions for you on your behalf if you're not able to. Um, so they're very important documents to have during your lifetime. Again, regardless of whether or not you actually have any financial assets, because if you do not name those people, then somebody has to go to court to have the court appoint somebody who may or may not be who who you would want to have handle those assets. So by having that durable power attorney and healthcare directives um, completed, then you're, you're naming the person that you personally want to have make those decisions, and you're also detailing the types of decisions you would want them to make on your behalf. So those are also two very important documents to have when you're doing your estate plan. Okay. That's it. I think that's it. Let's get the listeners involved. All right. Very good. Yeah. Uh, here's a. Uh, Sure. Here's one. Uh, is a revocable living trust needed if real estate is part of your assets that you want to convey to beneficiaries? Um, this comes kind of back to my um, it depends answer. Um, in Minnesota in particular, <laughs> if, if, you have, if you have real estate, regardless of, of the value of your estate, that automatically triggers a probate process. So if you want to avoid probate, uh, revocable trust is probably the best way to do that. You could instead put a transfer on death deed on it, which is basically putting a, a beneficiary designation on the deed of your house. So you still have full ownership of that, but then you're naming the beneficiary upon death, um, which that's available in Minnesota and Wisconsin, but not in some other states. You want to make sure if you're living in a state outside of Minnesota that you double check it, that it's available. But that is also another way to avoid probate without using a revocable trust. Kate just mentioned a TOD, and this text says if a person has a TOD, shouldn't everything transfer easily? It seems like every bank and financial institution treats a trust differently. Right. Well, TOD, again, it's putting a beneficiary designation on there. And so really all you have to do is, is produce that death certificate, and then the bank should should put the money, you know, give the money to whom you, the, the beneficiary that you name on that TOD. The trust... Um, I personally like trust better than the TOD beneficiary designation because you can plan for contingencies that you cannot with a TOD. And, you know, the bank should still manage, should still manage that trust or follow the trust terms based on the trustee named. Um, so there shouldn't be, it might be a little bit more hassle, but then you've named the contingency. So what if my beneficiary predeceases me and there are minor beneficiaries or, what if, you know, well, the beneficiary predeceased me and I wanted to go to these specific people as opposed to something else? So I personally prefer revocable trust over those designations, that beneficiary designations, but um, they do pass rather simply as long as they pass as intended. <laughs> and this I listener. think it's, 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 one second, it's, it's easy, it's easier when the person passes, but when you're alive and you have a trust, and you've got, let's say, your home in that trust, and you sell your home. Then you have this check, and then you want to go to the bank, and your bank account doesn't match that trust description. That's where the frustration comes from my clients. And so um, there is a little bit extra, uh, you know, just depositing money if it is in the trust name in your bank, not with all banks, 
but just so people know that there is some frustration while you're alive with these trusts. Denny? Right. Sure. Thanks, Peg. Uh, here's a 61-year-old sending a text, says, I don't have any living close relatives living. Would Why would I need a will, and who who would any remaining financials or non-financial assets go to? I think uh, the fact that you don't have any close living relatives is exactly why you need a will, because otherwise, who do you want that money to go to? Um, otherwise, it's going to go, if you don't have a will, you got what's called intestate, and then the assets will pass via uh, the state law. So that usually means, you know, if you don't have any children to go to your parents, if they're predeceased, they go to your siblings. If they're predeceased, then they'll go to their kids, and it, it'll just keep going down. And so that your money might go to somebody you've never even met before, when instead, if you drafted that will, you could have named a charity or you could have named a good friend to receive those assets on your behalf. So particularly when you don't have any close relatives, you definitely want that will because otherwise it's, your assets are likely going to pass to somebody you may not even know. I think we have time. It- standpoint, Peg. Oh, sorry, Danny. Peg, no, go ahead, you know, Bruce. That's got to drive you. That, 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 Peg, yeah, I'm, I'm not being facetious, but your big deal about control, you don't want the state deciding where your money goes after you're gone, right? Absolutely not. Yeah, I have enough um, friends. And, and actually, you know, there's some clients who want to name their pet instead of, um, you know, a living person. Can you actually do that, Kate? Kind of. Uh, it, yeah, it kind of depends on the state, and it usually involves a trust, and you still have to have some sort of uh, human beneficiary somewhere in there. But yeah. if if you do the correct type of planning, you can, you can kind of. <laughs> Did you think you were going to try to sneak in one more? We got less than a minute. Can we do it? Well, I tell you what, I guess it's a comment. I thought a trust would make things so good. My wife's pa- past. And I was never aware of all the things you still need a lawyer to do. <laughs> Kate? Yeah, it, it's complicated. Yeah, I, usually it's just having a lawyer takes so much stress off of you just because they know what they're doing. They know the forms to fill out. So, yeah, I, I understand. Sometimes even when you think it's easy, it ends up not being. It's not yeah, free, well, but in the long run in the right situation, it's definitely worth it. Right, Peg? Right. It, yes, and at Wealth Enhancement Group, we truly help our clients in the in when they pass away, doing a lot of the forms. Well, we'll have more next week. We hope you join us. In the meantime, you could always call uh, anytime, 888-6-ADVICE with your question, or get on uh, the web, yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Join us again next week with more of Your Money.